Apple's data leak, stopping business email compromising its tracks, and key steps in mitigating critical infrastructure cyber attacks. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. This week, Google came public on a data leak that happened on its Google Plus platform, opening up personal details to half a million accounts. Here's Jeremy Kirk, ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, with the details. Google says a bug in its Google Plus social network exposed data on hundreds of thousands of users. The company was forced to address the issue this week after the Wall Street Journal described the data exposure in a scoop. Google patched the bug in March, but it chose not to publicly disclose the issue on recommendation from its Privacy and Data Protection Office. It believes the data wasn't misused. Citing anonymous sources and internal documents, the Wall Street Journal reported that Google feared regulator scrutiny and reputational damage. Google's decision not to disclose is likely to raise eyebrows as technology companies have faced increasing pressure over their data handling and privacy practices. The company further announced that it would shut down the consumer version of Google Plus by next August. Google Plus was designed as a competitor to Facebook, but it never gained meaningful traction. The flaw in Google Plus was found during a review started earlier this year that revolved around access to personal data by third-party apps. The flaw was contained in an API that allowed users to grant access to their profile data and public information of their friends, but the bug also exposed data that wasn't meant to be public. That may have included name, email address, occupation, gender, and age. There's increasing worry over how much data tech giants give to developers of third-party apps. In their earlier days, Google, Facebook, and Twitter attracted huge numbers of developers by offering access to user data. But the evolving view over the last few years is that those policies were far too liberal. Facebook and Twitter, for example, have ongoing reviews of third-party apps and how they use personal data. Both companies have also tightened their rules around what kind of data apps are allowed to collect. As part of its announcement this week, Google says it's updating its policies for its Gmail API. Those changes will limit apps that are allowed to gain access to Gmail data. Google has sought to keep a low profile as regulators and lawmakers have become intensely interested in data protection, privacy, and election-related security. But sometimes Google's actions have conversely generated more attention. In this case, choosing not to disclose a security issue and then being outed for it later may draw more negative attention. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. On October 23rd, ISMG will be hosting its Security Summit in London. One of the guest speakers is David Stubley, CEO of Seven Elements, a security testing and consultancy company based in the UK. I got to speak with David this week to preview his session at the event on business email compromise. Here, David provides some practical advice on proactive mitigation of BEC threats. So I think it's it's multi-layered and you have various options available to you to, in the first instance, to hopefully mitigate having a, a business email compromise uh, instance in the first place. So if we... Uh, build our defenses uh, robustly at the outset and obviously we are going to to minimize the, the likelihood of, 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 a, of a compromise and to do that um, my, my 
key takeaways for that is that we should be implementing multi-factor authentication uh, as, as a default action to provide that secondary layer of protection that when you do log into your uh, instance, you are then having to be prompted that you're logging in and you have to approve uh, that login so you are in control of who is accessing your your platform now if you do that straight away you have uh, mitigated the most common form of, of uh, external compromise from brute force attacks because you're not only going to have to guess a user's uh, password you're going to have to trick them into uh, to author authorizing that access as, as well which makes that uh, more complicated so that is definitely a, uh, a mitigating strategy that would help um, defend the other um, point of a compromise that we see quite often is individuals being enticed to click on uh, an email that has been sent to them, often within the supply chain or, or partners as part of that step through process that we discussed earlier where if that account can't be used to, to exfiltrate funds, then it is used itself to go and target other people. And we've seen those emails from company A that's been compromised land on company B's, uh, various users' emails, and that user within company B will place trust in that email because come from somebody that they recognize uh, and often the mechanism will be click on this link and, and uh, access the, the OneDrive document that I want to share with you but if they click on that link it's actually taking them through to a compromised website that's pretending to be uh, an office uh, 365 OneDrive um, provider and it asks you to re-authenticate and the user will if, unless they've been educated uh, uh, correctly and, and are aware of these scams will have placed trust in that and they will provide their credentials thinking that they're logging into to, to an office platform when in fact they are just disclosing their credentials to to an external attacker who then uses those credentials to log into that user's account again so training and awareness of, of, of the users quite paramount there to spot those types of, of attempts but bolted together with mfa uh, multi-factor authentication because again if they then get prompted for that login um you know, it, it helps somebody have an opportunity to think, oh, I shouldn't maybe have done that or spot that that has occurred. So certainly if we can get some mitigation in to, to avoid it, that's got to be the best place. Finally, I got to interview another speaker at the upcoming ISMG Security Summit in London, Prashant Pillay, who is director of the Wolverhampton Cyber Research Institute at the University of Wolverhampton in the UK. He'll be speaking at the summit on the challenges of securing critical national infrastructure from cybersecurity attacks. I spoke with Prashant and asked him what can be done to protect critical infrastructure starting with national power grids. Looking at power networks, power networks are, are traditionally designed to be you know, somewhat decentralized in a way. So, so they, and not from the security point of view, but more of a safety point of view, because, you know, um, if, if you've got a power cut or a short circuit or, or any event taking place at one part of your network, you don't want that to cascade through the whole network. So they have things in built into the technology already, which is like things like eye lending and all where it'll, it'll contain the, the, the effect of, of whatever is happening to a, a small region so that that doesn't cascade across. Uh, and we need to learn some of these techniques and, and adapt them towards this, the security side as, as well um, and making sure that, you know, that doesn't happen and, or, you know, the security impacts don't cascade. Um, I think what we also need to be looking at is better understanding of some of the threat models, actually. So most of these device, you know, networks, they have some very good understanding of the safety aspects. But when you start looking at security and start looking at how your different assets really work and, and what's this, you know, the threat landscape, I think it's a, it's, it's, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done in that, that, that domain. 
Um, if you look at cyber threat modeling, it's very static in nature. It's just and you know more or less as I'm assuming you know what you perceive it as a threat level in terms of high, medium, lows, and risks and all. Um, but trying to really understand what it means when a large network like that could be faced with various multiple attacks at the same time. I think those kind of threat modeling we probably don't know at the moment. So I think that's one of the first steps that we need to be looking at. And then, of course, looking at some new novel solutions to detect how some of these you know, attacks are taking place. And we, we see more and more sophisticated attacks coming in. So attack you know, a malware that actually understands your network, which understands the protocols being used and, and manipulates those protocols in, in a way which somehow go undetected by some of the, the more sophisticated detection systems as well. So I think we need to be on top of the game to try and think about how you can not just detect some of these attacks, but then how do you also really build the resilient systems so systems that can probably continue working even when they've been attacked. So because we know hackers will always find a way to, to come up with something new, which we probably have not thought of. Uh, but it's important to, again, go back into design and actually start thinking about how you actually add more resilience into your network. I think that's absolutely key. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.